Hey everyone, welcome back to the Eminem Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host Alex Metzger, along with me is my co-host Chase McCallum. Hope everyone had a good long weekend as we're recording on Monday, May 22nd at about 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, a couple hours before Game 3 of Carolina-Florida gets underway. We will be recapping both series. One, Chase and I have gotten to watch a little more than the other, so definitely a little more analysis on that. And then the big thing, Kyle Dubas is out as general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, We'll get to that in a second, but let's start with the series just because it is the freshest things on our minds in terms of the games. And as recording tonight, I kind of mentioned that uh, game three of Florida and Carolina is going to be taking uh, place at about 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, So far, the Florida Panthers just keep finding a way to do it. They are up 2-0 in the series with a pair of overtime wins, one in four overtimes. Uh, it was about ten or six minutes away from being the longest game in NHL history uh, as Florida scored with about a minute left in the fourth overtime, I believe. Um, Chase, I've got to watch this series a lot more than the other one, so let's start here. Um, I felt the same way last series, how I didn't think Florida should be up to nothing after two games, but they were. This one, I even doubled down on it, where... If I'm the Hurricanes, I am pissed at myself that that they are somehow down two games. But you also got to feel pretty confident that they've played very well in these games. No? 100%. I don't know if you've seen it on Twitter, but I feel like it's been really trendy to be like, lol, of course the Hurricanes got goalied. Uh, yeah, this isn't a, the Hurricanes fundamentally break expected goals, and they haven't actually been playing that well thing, I don't think. No, I don't think either. Like the, I mean, like, and you got to give Florida some credit too. It's not like Florida's just been completely dominated or anything like that. No, but, but um, it's been pretty aggressive. Like game two, I I thought Carolina absolutely dominating game two. I, I got to watch most of that game, and it was I think the deserve to win o meter from Money Puck. Obviously, not always the whole story, but it was at seventy five percent for Carolina at the end of the game through a thousand simulations. So. Like and game one, again, I uh, I think it was about the same. I'm just running the simulation as well, and yeah, it's in the 70s for Carolina. So, That's like, pretty tough. yeah, to, to lose both of those games is is pretty incredible. And I'll say this about the Panthers: um, it really, and before it's not that they're a bad team to get to the conference final and be two games up in the conference final you quite literally cannot be a bad team, you know? Yep. But it this isn't the me, Canadians. Exactly. But it, it does give me vibes of the Canadians team where, to a lesser extent, I would say, but similar vibes where it's like, they're clearly skilled players on this team and they're playing phenomenally well. Matthew Kachuk has two overtime goals. Uh, Barkov, I thought, has looked really good at times in this series as well. Uh, obviously, Sergei Bobrovsky, we're seeing why they paid him all those years ago, even though it hasn't worked out until this point. Similar to, you know, Carey Price was really bad for a number of years and then put it back to beat Carey Price for a couple months. But I just, I keep wondering with That's this a good team. good comparable for it. Right? And, and, and I keep wondering with this team, like we saw with Montreal, like we've seen with equivalent Islanders teams in years past, there just gets to be a point, whether it's the conference finals, whether it's the finals, where the luck kind of runs out and then the team runs out of gas. And even Nashville a couple of years back, they're not the exact same. I think Nashville is a better all around team, but they were similar. You know, they were going through like they were winning games with none of their top three centers in the lineup and stuff like that. And then come the finals. Right. Exactly. And then come the finals, uh, Pekka Rene, finally the, the dam broke. And and it was, you know, not a quick six game series or whatever, but like. Pittsburgh never really felt in danger of losing. I Tampa was scared, and I was cheering for Pittsburgh. I think I wasn't scared at any point. I vividly remember that. Exactly, right? Like, whereas even against Ottawa the round before, Pittsburgh had gone down a couple times, and it went to triple <laughs> overtime in seven. Game 7. Like, yeah. yeah. And even same with um, um, the Montreal team, you know? Like, it's it, – the. They played close games in the finals. Like I, there was only one or two that were a blowout, if I remember correctly. But it was a five game series, and you never felt like Tampa was going to lose. Um, so, yeah, yeah exactly. You, you I, just knew the out. You know who the better team was, and you didn't for a second waver watching the series. Mm-hmm. And I just, I get the vibes of this Florida team. That being said. I don't think it needs to be this series that the dam breaks because now you're already up to. You just have to win two of your next four, and yeah, which they're more than good enough to do. Absolutely. And you know that, and it's tough. Like Carolina has to win four of their next six, right? Like 
or four in the next yep. five. Sorry, four in the next five. Um, and this is where the injuries I think are going to really bite them in the ass because now you have no room for error, right? Exactly, and this is kind of what we talked about with the Leafs team too. Is you know the thing that is maybe discouraging if you're Carolina is that you've put together two amazing games and have come out with no goals or no wins, sorry. Um, and now you don't have that room for error. You cannot come out like the Leafs did in game three, even though if you reverse the script there and let's say the Leafs come out flat in game one, ugly, they come out great in game two, but just barely lose the game. They win game three and they lose game four in a tight one as well. The narrative of the series, even though a team is down three, one is completely different, but (laughs) if if you you dominate to getting there, Exactly. Right. But if you dominate to lose it and then come out flat, you are, you know, there's all kinds of questions brought into uh, account. So, um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I think this is still absolutely series much like I did with the Toronto one. So, um, I would say I'm less confident in Carolina being able to work their way back. Not just because, not because of the team or anything. I just think I was maybe overconfident in Toronto last round and probably didn't give Florida enough credit. Um, but I, I like. I still think this. Yeah. Is, I, I could see this going six or seven still. If if this one's seven, I wouldn't be shocked at all. But I mean, it's so weird to talk about because, like you said, with the whole does the dam break or not thing. Like Sergey Borowski's having one of the best stretches we've ever seen a goalie play. Like if he continues that, it could be done in four. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like there's like easily. Yeah, if he puts up two more games like he did in games one and two, this is done in four. You know, like yeah. I believe he's having the second best seven game stretch we've ever seen. Seems right. Yeah, and it, you can juice those numbers with the the uh, huge overtime game, right? Because you're basically just sneaking <laughs> extra games into the into the yeah, record breaking like, thing. But yeah, like I I don't think anybody watching it would be shocked to hear that. No, I like this is yeah this has been one of the most incredible performances. And again, like there's. The, the, this is how the Florida team, I think, kind of needs to play when they're out, man. But uh, in this, this has gone a little far too, where I think they should probably be trying to press play a little more because, again, we can give them all the credit in the world. If they even suddenly get nine twenty goaltending, they're losing these games five two instead of yeah. winning two well, one. Right? Weird too, because it doesn't feel like they should be out manned against a Carolina team that's this injured. Yeah, like I mean, they got Tara Vina back for the series, so that definitely helps as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, I, I don't know. They, but like, still a team without their two best wingers. And it's not like Tara Vina's played well. He's yeah. Presumably still hurt, right? Yeah. I, I do think it maybe helps a little bit that like Pacioretty just never played for this team. So I think yeah, you don't Carolina. Really your head. Exactly. Or like, even if you do, because you can't count it on paper, right? Like, they, they weren't allowed to use his cap hit until they knew he was done. I think they used it at the deadline, but like, for yes. the bulk of the year, they couldn't use his cap hit, right? So, like, but, I mean, even just without a Svechikov, it just kind of, yeah, you would think that Kachuk Barkov is as a one-two would be enough to then overwhelm Aho and name whoever puts in it, whether it's Nakash or, or whoever goes yeah. into that second role, right? Exactly. And then you got, like, Reinhardt, too, is significantly better than any fourth, third forward option Carolina could offer up front. Like, he's closer to Aho than... Yeah, Ryan's an interesting one because he's been he's been a guy where I feel like he's been very quiet until he gets to the quote unquote big moments, if you will, in this playoff run. Like yeah. I, was, I I kind of forget about him when we're mentioning big forwards on Florida, but like maybe it's just because he's playing that third line role at times. And and again, like he's chipped it. We had the big overtime goal against the Leafs, right? And like there was a couple where he looked really good against the Leafs, and he hasn't been bad this playoffs. Like he's been their sixth best forward, uh, fifth uh, best forward among 13 eligible in Corsi four. And his expected goals are about the same as well, where he's helping out. Yeah. Uh, fifth best in that as well. So um, that makes sense. I yeah, think like, cause he gets to compare to Nylander a lot. And I think part of the reason with Reinhardt is he's so much less flashy. Mm-hmm. He's a lot more of like an intelligent player than like a, obviously he does have like an amazing shot and, pretty high-end talent but it's it's not like a, a Nylander like pure finesse style of good where it just looks beautiful no matter what you know what I mean yeah he's like a Nylander level player but in a very different way yeah if, a completely right? different way and a lot of it's defensive with him 
Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's so hard to, to like, just even casually watching the game. That's so hard to tell, right? Like his RAPM this year was just all his value came from defense and he was super unlucky for goals four per 60, but like he was a replacement level player offensively, according to RAPM. Yeah. Yeah. And so, he's an elite defensive player. Yeah, Close exactly. Um, yeah. So I don't, I, I think, you know, this is a series where again, Florida has got to be rightfully favored and, um, but two overtimes, including a four overtime and then a one overtime game, uh, you can't say Carolina's out. This game three obviously will be massive. If Carolina wins tonight, you feel so much more confident just being down two one versus obviously three nothing. That's pretty straightforward. But it is just kind of even again, like it's weird how we talk about it. But going down three nothing and then winning game four to be down three one feels so much more deflating than winning game three and losing game four to be down three one, eh? A hundred percent it does. Um and again, some of it, it makes sense that some of that's basic probability. It, it is just naturally going to be easier to win three games in a row versus four. But at the same time, at the end of the day, if you can ignore the first four games, you were in the exact same situation either way, even though it might feel a lot different. So. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It's a, Yeah, it's the sequencing thing again, right? Like It just makes mm-hmm. things feel odd. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've been really enjoying this hockey so far. It's been, again, kind of what we thought to really aggressively forechecking teams, but it's led to what I thought has been some pretty fun hockey to watch. So, um, I, I hope the next couple games are like that as well. Yeah, I agree. Um, on the Western conference, we both unfortunately haven't got to see too much of this. I was at the Jays game Friday night when they were playing game one. Uh, and then last night wasn't around or no, yesterday afternoon wasn't around either. Um, this has been what I what I have got to watch of this series has seemed like a very exciting game. I didn't get to see any of game two. I did get to watch the third period of game one. And uh, it's been a lot of fun as well. All four games to start the uh, conference finals here have gone to overtime, which I can't imagine that's happened too often. Just off the top of my head. But yeah, it's um, pretty weird first round. Not only that, like both being two nothing and could be both three nothing very realistically at the same time when the NBA finals both are, are set. They're both three nothing in that too, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, the Heat just took a three nothing lead last night. So yeah, like it just feels it's like an odd time for sports right now. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is like, and these games have been, it's funny too, because yeah, like these, the Dallas Vegas games have been super close as well, where, oh man, like, Dallas is getting the poor end of Jake Ottinger at the absolute worst time, though, eh? Yeah, poor Jake Ottinger. Because he was um, so good last year, too. Yeah, like, if you could put that Flames series Jake Ottinger here, like, they would be the undeniable cup uh, favorites. Yeah. But, oh, 100%. Um, yeah, I, I hope I get to watch a little more of this series over the next couple of games because it's been real tight as well. Like, 4-3 Vegas in overtime in the first game, and the shots were 37-36 in game two. It was... 3-2 in overtime for Vegas. The shots were 27-24, um, you know, or 28-24, I should say. Again, it's been, at the end of the day, it's been two games from Ottinger in the 800s for save percentage, and it's been two games for Aiden Hill in the 900s for save percentage. So, um, you like, as sad as that analysis is, that's what it comes that's down it. to when you have two overtime games, right? Yep. Yep, that's really what it comes down to. And again, like it, that just shows you how fine the margins are too. Cause I just lift off the show. It's not like Dallas has been crushing Vegas in shots. Like the, the Carolina series, like what, what are they doing? Like, like the, the shots in game one were 36 for Dallas to 37 for Vegas. Vegas actually had more, but four goals on 37 shots is an eight ninety two say percentage. Whereas three goals on yep. 36 is a nine seventeen, right? Yeah. Like, the margins on goalie stuff are insane. Yeah, which is why you can't just look at it and be like, oh, well, he's been bad because he's had an 875. But, like, at the same time, you need that one extra stop. <laughs> like it's, in the conference finals, you need that one extra stop. And you can't have games where you're going three goals on 24 shots. It's just not going to win. Yep. So Yeah, yeah, three on 24 against a good team. Like, you're, you're pretty much screwed, which is kind of crazy that, that that's how small the margins are. Yep, exactly. So... Um, yeah. And like, again, game two, the shots were 38, 26 in favor of Carolina and they lost that game. So yeah, it it is, it is funny where it's like both games, I think, um, both series. Yeah. Like 
the one series I think you could easily argue it should be two nothing hurricanes at the very least it should be one one and this series feels like another one that should be one one and but instead is two nothing Vegas and uh, Vegas has a really good chance now to just try and put them away and I'm a lot more worried for the stars I, I do like the stars I think they're still a good team but I just think this Vegas team is probably better than the Panthers team so it's going to be a lot harder to erase a two nothing deficit yes that's a thing right like it's one thing to be down to nothing, even if you're like <clears throat> decently, decently favored and you just happen to find yourself down. But if you're even evenly matched in hockey, like that's the odds of you coming out of that are so low. Yeah. Like you, we talked about it last episode, they were 55, 45, almost a 50, 50 series. Well, if you drop two in a row, that's going to go to 75, 25 very quick. Right. Pretty quick. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, again, I hope I get to watch a couple more of those games. I, I think I'm busy tomorrow, unfortunately, with sports as well, but I might tape some of the game and watch it. But um, yeah, two exciting series so far. I mean, definitely maybe not the most um, highest market or like, you know, highest profile markets that are in the finals, but it's been four really good games so far, and I hope we get a fifth tonight. Yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah, so they took a lot of shit online when it was those the four markets, but I don't know. I feel like if anything, it might be a good thing. Yeah, we didn't get to talk about this last episode, but let's do it real quick now. It is absolutely a better thing, especially long-term, than just the same four teams kind of getting in over and over again. And it is driving me nuts seeing people go, oh, you won't say that when the uh, when the salary cap goes down. It's like that the salary cap is going to have no effect by this. because Yeah, like the salary the- cap's been flat because of a pandemic, not because of hockey. Well, like, that's exactly. What it takes. And, and like, and bad ratings for the, and like, I will admit the people who probably aren't happy about this are Sportsnet, especially Sportsnet, having a desert team in Dallas, the Carolina Hurricanes and Florida Panthers, which are probably two of the smallest markets in, especially when it comes to Canada, right? Like, yep. and then the Vegas Golden Knights, who, again, like just kind of a new market, you know, I'm sure it'll get some views, but just it's not a Canadian team. They'd much rather a Canadian team in the Final Four. Yes, the TV providers probably are like, this one year, this is going to suck. But the NHL, it they don't get money every year based on how the TV providers did that year. It's a locked-in <laughs> contract. It doesn't bounce up and down year to year. Exactly. So if you had four years in a row where it is the absolute smallest markets that don't get draws or just don't do as well on TV, all four of them are in the Final Four somehow. Yeah, maybe that wouldn't be the most ideal thing in the world just in terms of TV markets are going to start going, or uh, TV channels are going to start going, okay, what are we paying for here? But that's just not going to happen. And so if you look at it as a one-off, it is probably better long-term, right? Like, because you're growing the game in these markets, which is the the thing people always love to say, oh, like, they got to grow the game, they got to grow the game. Well, guess what? This is great to grow the game. And now people are like, oh, well, you can't have it because the seller cap won't go up. Shut up. Yeah, it's complete matter of bullshit. And like... It doesn't even make like coherent logistical sense either. No. Like of course getting the game out to traditional markets is a non-traditional markets is a good thing. And like of course it's not as simple one-to-one that the fucking salary caps dropping because of it. Like I don't even know how it became a narrative, but it's so stupid. And you saw it from like a lot of well-known people were talking about it. This is really dumb. Yeah. And like, and again, this is, these aren't markets that are Arizona, you know, again, like we talked about Arizona last week, it just hasn't worked in that market. And it's been obvious for 25 years. It is obvious that when you give, especially like, again, like Raleigh, a winning team, they come yep. out and support it in droves. So again, you should be wanting to promote that all over your country. Yeah. And that's exactly what we need. Like for the salary cap to ever go up, hockey needs to become significantly more popular in the States and, and That's probably I just, the only way you're going to do it. I can't even think of a better example than the team that we've seen in the the finals for three years in a row in the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yep. No one cared about the Tampa Bay Lightning eight years ago, but now they're one of the teams most commonly put on national television. Yeah, like they're like grown up. This is extreme with Crosby, obviously, but like they were going to move the Penguins, and now Pittsburgh's like a top five American hockey market. They're going to move the Blackhawks. I think they're like another massive. They're the big. They're the second biggest behind New York in America. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All because of, well, not all because of, but like Kane and Pays and the success they had in the ice. Like, it's the easiest way to grow the game. Yep, exactly. So, uh, people yeah, like I, watching I, good hockey players in their city. Shock. 
Exactly. So, yeah, no, I, I've I really enjoyed these games. So let, let's hope for a couple more. Uh, before we move on to the big part of the news, we'd like to give a shout out at our sponsors, a- Athletic Greens. Their signature AG1 has the highest quality ingredients, the strictest manufacturing standards, and more. Made of 75 of the highest quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source nutrients in the world, and manufactured to the strictest quality standards. It is even NSF certified for sport, a robust certification process that involves ingredient and finished batch testing of AG1. Simply follow the link in our show description and get started today. All right, Chase, on to the bombshell that dropped on Friday <laughs> afternoon. Which one? Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess start there. <laughs> the Toronto Maple Leafs announced that they will not be bringing back general manager Kyle Dubas, whose contract was up, I believe, June 30th of this year. So he's now done working with the team. Um, this game is a pretty big surprise overall because a week earlier it sounded like both sides had wanted to get a deal. I mean, obviously we had mentioned the the Dubas presser, how he said he wanted to uh, take some time to with his family to uh, decide that. And it turns out uh, the process that that happened pissed uh, Shanahan off enough where he decided he wanted to let go of them. So Let's let's go over the timeline, I guess, first, and then we'll we'll get That's to what it actually means. Good. Yeah. So the timeline's pretty important for how you interpret a lot of it. Well, and this is the thing, is like so we get the news on Friday that Dubas is out, which again, surprising, but like if you told Not me at the, the end of the craziest thing. No, they have like only one round. That's this is the thing, right? So five years as GM, one round win, it came this year, and then they lost an embarrassing fashion in round two. So if you told me he's out, I'd be like, all right, I that's probably not what I would have done, but like fair enough. Okay. Sure. Um, and then so on Friday afternoon, Brendan Shanahan holds a press conference. And this is where things really start to get wild. Is that Brendan Shanahan kind of highlighted exactly how things went down. So he and Dubas talked, Dubas held the press conference, and Shanahan made it sound like he advised against the press conference that Dubas had held on Monday. So he yeah. didn't even think it was a good idea to begin with. Uh, Dubas holds that press conference, obviously says, I want to take Apparently some time. it wasn't a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Let, let's say with how it turned out. But Dubas says, I want to take some time. I want to talk to my family and I'm thinking over and stuff. Um, Shanahan thought they had ba- the basis of a deal basically done. Um, and then on Thursday, Dubas's agent came back to, uh, to uh, not Kyle, to Shanahan and said, uh, yeah, Kyle wants to work with you, but we want uh, a pay raise and gave him a new structured contract, which, according to Brendan Shannon, is, quote, uh, significantly different than what uh, he had thought they had agreed on. So obviously it sounds like a much higher, whether that's a million dollars more, two million dollars more, 500K more. Like you'd have to think it was at least 500K or more just, you know, with how much money MLS he has. Um, yeah. Well, and. I feel like this was kind of just a distraction too. There's no way that Kyle Dubas not being the least GM has to do with money. Not if it's like that. That's definitely not, not primary. the primary reason. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm sure. Say you're 99% of the way there. And it's like the thing pushes you over the edge. Maybe I believe that, but like. Yeah. If you it, were again, 65, 35, and then he comes back and goes, no, I want double my salary. Sure. But, and we don't know that's what happened. Right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and then so so from there, Dubas had sent him an email uh, to Shanahan saying that on Thursday night, saying he does want to come back and his agent would be in touch. Uh, and then Shanahan decided that that, that was the moment that he didn't uh, didn't feel that Dubas was the right guy for the job and went down on Friday and let him know that he uh, would be relieved of his duties, so or would not would not be getting contract extension. So and and they admit he had from Shanahan's account they had been working on a contract for the better part of a, this whole year. Um, and at the deadline, after the deadline had said that, uh, um, he wanted to extend Dubas because at that point he felt the deadline was strong, which I think is a fair way of thinking about it, right? Regardless of the result, the process was sound at the deadline, or if they thought it was sound, that's all you should be going off of, right? That is um, a better way of doing it. Yeah. But yeah, at the end of the day, he decided not to. Uh, since then, there have been more details that have come out. I, I've seen reporting of that. It sounds like MLSE, there's been trade blocks and part of Dubas's request may have been a more streamlined process to get stuff done. So whether yeah. that didn't include Shanahan's approval or, or MLSE as the board, which, so it makes it, which it did sound like MLSE has been, I won't say taking part in player personnel, but definitely needing to clear 
def- different stuff, right? So if you want to call that meddling, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, and it became very clear that Dubas doesn't have final full, say all the time. Yes, he definitely does. Other not people have, have veto power, power, I guess, because Dubas probably on his job title is final say. But like, if people can veto what you say, anyways, then I guess you kind of don't like. Yeah. So and that it sounds again, it sounds like Dubas kind of wanted more of that. Uh, final say and, and that was part of the request that got denied and, and the reason he's no longer with the team so um give me your thoughts just I, I guess you know on the timeline on the process is there anything you want to hit on right away or anything I missed about the timeline before we go into really what this means for the team I think yeah I mean one of the important things was that Shanahan mentioned he was questioning Dubas just from the press conference alone before he got the money or like made the money request to which I feel like is somewhat important to have the thing gets interpreted yeah like it's because the more Shanahan's mad about the press conference the more this becomes one of the great like that's just not how you would hope to do business right like I don't really care what you thought of the press conference. One 30-minute press conference in which nothing actually problematic was said, influencing perhaps maybe the next 10 years of what a billion-dollar organization does is fucking crazy. Well, that's the thing, too, is like, like I know everyone kind of came out of that press conference going, wow, like Dubas, it's it's really hitting him. You know, he put his like heart on the line there or whatever. But like, I don't remember anything extreme coming out of that press conference other than I just need to take some time with my family, which doesn't seem that aggressive of a request. Yeah. Well, like he just talked about how the job was stressful. It's like, yeah, Kyle Dubas has probably got the most stressful job in the city of Toronto. It's crazy as that is like, there are hundreds of thousands of people who like, hate him his family probably gets like death threats and like that kind of shit like it's just so public to an insane degree i believe it wears on you even if it's like your dream job yeah so like i i kind of don't really understand why that would be such a big deal um yeah well the idea that this was this was tweeted by somebody in the league so i feel like it's okay to say but they're private so we won't name them it's like if you fired all the executives in the league who questioned if they wanted to be there, you'd fire them all. Mm-hmm. So at which point you're just mad that somebody was honest about their like mental state. Well, even it's not like he was, again, he even said in the press conference, it's Toronto or nowhere. It's not like he was going like, Ooh, I don't know if I want to be here. Might jump ship to, to Pittsburgh y'all. Yeah. Which is He's like, Oh look, Pittsburgh's calling Philly's yeah. calling. They won. They'll promote me, whatever. Like, not like he was really leveraging that, even though he very well could have. Yeah, and like honestly, now that I'm sure he did privately too, by the way, but he didn't publicly, which is somewhat important. I would say he's already being interviewed for. He got like the Leafs gave Pittsburgh permission for him to interview for that opening already, so it does. Yeah, pretty obvious that he probably did um, use us a little bit of leverage, but. But yeah, it's not like he was coming out and publicly saying that or anything like that. So, and, and again, maybe. Maybe he was doing that privately, and that's just kind of why you know Shanahan was upset and used the the presser as a reason, kind of. But I don't. I again, I I think this is the wrong decision personally, especially because again, you could sell me that a new voice is needed or whatever. Again, it's been one one round win in five years, but. The thing that scares me is then he followed up by we're probably not hiring a first time GM again. We want an experienced guy, and then like the names linked to the well, team. The names up there suck. Brad Living, who just got let go because his team had one of the most underwhelming years ever. Yeah. <laughs> and and like, Living's the best option I've seen floated. Absolutely, and like by a significant margin. The next ones were like Mark Bergevin and Peter Shirelli. It's like Bergevin yeah. would at least. As a team, for someone who has no investment in the team whatsoever, Bergevin would be the chaos option because he has shown he's not afraid to make massive moves, whether they work out or not. Yeah, <laughs> I think Bergevin's a little underrated. If they fired Dubas to go to Bergevin, I'd be pissed still. But he was made out to be a dinosaur. Well, he did some really stupid stuff. He did some brilliant things too. 
Yeah, like he he over, it was funny because he'd hit massively on a trade, then miss massively on something, and then hit yeah. massively on something and miss massively on something. He was like which, late career Phil Castle, who was still yeah. really good offensively, but like the worst defensive player in the league by a mile. Which maybe if your team is good as Toronto, you just gotta hope that you you get the high ends of the of <laughs> the, the, the variance. Yeah. But again, I, I don't think that's the smartest thing to bet on. But um, yeah, like that that's no, the I'd thing that buy can... variance if I'm bad, and then maybe I'm really good. Worst case scenario, <laughs> tanking yeah. for an extra year or two. Not uh, yeah, worst case scenario, you fucking lose Matthews. Yeah, exactly. And so, and that's the thing is like, I'm a little worried just because. Dubas is not the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs today, not because of anything really to do with his performance or, yeah. you know, like a week his ago. His hockey decision-making. Yeah. Brendan Shanahan said, stated in his presser a week ago, he was the guy he thought was right for the job. There was nothing Dubas could do in terms of an on-ice action between now and then to change his mind. So just a week ago, he was convinced that this was the dude to switch his job. So again, yeah, to have such an instant reaction and change to the plan for a billion multi-billion dollar business is questionable at best very questionable like like yeah he didn't make a hockey decision in the meantime the it doesn't sound to me like the the decision had basically anything to do with hockey which is crazy because again like you said one or we stressed one round in five years you could make it a hockey decision and while we would both probably disagree i would probably disagree even stronger but like it's still acceptable at least yeah and i don't know i was listening to overdrive too they, they always have some interesting takes um just on this stuff in general and the one that i think it was brian hayes who had mentioned he's like well the only way this would be like even acceptable in terms of um a process standpoint i guess is if you, you know, the Leafs have now said enough and they're not, you know, they're, they're showing that they're not going to be quote unquote rolled over in the negotiations. Cause that was obviously a big feeling five years ago is that, you know, the, the Marner one, especially, right. And I know people point to the Nylander one. My bigger problem with the Nylander negotiation, to be completely honest, is that the Leafs knew it was going to settle around $6.9 million. They should have just given it to him four months earlier to save everyone the hassle. Um, yeah, the Leafs didn't cave early enough. Is is actually the criticism of that? Yeah, not that um, they caved like it is for the other. But yeah, the the Marner one and even the Matthews one too. And again, like um, I'll the still... one isn't out of line with the the term is the, the problem. Well, like that's what Sid and Malkin both did, and Eric Stahl, who were like yeah, three that's of true. The four most comparable. The only one who didn't do that was Ovi. It's just, but it's just tough when, you know, McDavid signing the eight years, Pasta signing the eight year. Well, I guess Pasta wasn't eight years, was he? Yeah. Um, but Drysaddle was locked in for eight. Yeah, Drysaddle wasn't nearly as good at the time, though. No, not when he locked in. People but, thought well, Drysaddle contract was bad. Oh yeah, and and that's why it's like, like that. Even was, smart people. If I that's why that. everyone went. Oh yeah, like that's probably the reason you should be locking in these star. Yeah. 21 year old state year deals right but yeah i don't know like it's just one of those things where i think given you only got five years of term you probably would have liked a little less in aav like i remember when the contract came out i saw the aav and went that's really good for eight years then it was it was for five i went hmm, Shit. it's still okay but i would have expected probably closer to 10.8 10.5 kind of range for a five-year aav maybe even 10.2 right like yeah, those are the kind of negotiations though that are just like so extreme too. Like I think it's kind of hard. To, like how do you what do you tell Austin Matthews no on the grounds and, of with a straight face? And again, like that's why I kind of understand. Yeah, you don't want to hassle over because again, like I just said, Nylander, It's stupid that they hassled over six hundred k essentially for a half a year. It pissed the public off for both sides to the point where I still think there are a good amount of fan base who hates Nylander specifically because of that holdout. Oh, and yeah. then it ruined the rest of his season because he took so long to get started again because he didn't play for half a year. Uh, and it just didn't look good on the Leafs. But yeah, for Austin Matthews, I think you can go the other way where it's like, you don't need to nickel and nine him for 600 K because it's like, this is your star. This is the best player you have had in your franchise history. Like yeah. it, if you win with Austin Matthews, it won't be because or not because of 800k on his contract. Yeah. Whereas Mitch Marner, I feel like they overpaid him by two million dollars, and that's when I think they 
they really want to want to redo probably or just you know even if you only like it just that one compared to market comparables was just crazy yeah yeah well and that sucked because like the one thing i'll defend them about in that is everybody's like oh they're stupid they should have signed it the summer before um he said everyone was aware that like if we were that aware that mitch marner was gonna pop you think mitch marner's rep (laughs) in his reps were just like no john Tavares has never made a winger any money before sign your contract right now like Marner did that too. Come on. Exactly. Like I, I seem to remember them saying no specifically because of that. They're like, we're not gonna sign this year. We yeah. want to wait until next year. Like Uber talented player. I don't think they were using him on power play one, and then he ended up changing over to power play one that year. Like it just made all the sense in the world to bet on himself and that's there. And that's what he did. And it worked. Absolutely. Like, it shouldn't have worked as well as it did, but because Duke has fucked that up, but yeah. Um so yeah, but like so the, the explanation was basically um um maybe this is them putting their foot down of Dubas kind of looked and went, well, the, the league again it would make some sense, I guess, if uh MLSE does have say in this where it's like MLSE approved all these deals, why would I not try and get as much money as I can? Um or you know, maybe it's not that, who knows? Um, uh, but that was kind of the only way they felt it was defensible from a process standpoint and and I would agree to a certain extent, I guess. But even then, like I just, it's hard to know with all the without all the details, right? Because if the ask was so aggressively, like if he's making yeah. four and a half million dollars, he goes, "I want eight. I kind of understand why you go, "Okay, what are you doing here?" Like, right? Like, but then you're basically just we're basically assuming Kyle Dubas didn't try to get himself fired. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like if he did something like that, it would make sense to fire him. But like that is such an absurd action that you're essentially just trying to get punted out the door at that point. I yeah. Don't think so any other way to interpret that. Um. So the the next big thing is a obviously who they hire. What does that person envision? Um. The biggest I think ripple effect that Leaf fans are gonna are gonna be watching is how does this affect Austin Matthews resigning. Uh, Matthews had already came out at his presser and said he was hoping that he hopes to have a deal done before they start playing next year. Um, he can sign an extension on July 1st. Everything from what I've heard, everything was seemed pretty promising that if Dubas was the GM, that was going to happen. Um, it didn't now, sound like it was an issue at all. No, now it sounds like even if it's not a full blown issue, it's at least less likely in some capacity. Yeah. I so feels like a the odds went down fairly dramatically yeah now, like it can still be fine just because like it was basically a hundred percent chances for signed but still well and and so that's why I kind of wonder too because like I agree the the narrative like that has been but I kind of wonder if that's people overreacting to like yeah split decisions because even it, it could would be... look tough <laughs> If yeah. you're like Matthews and them watching it, like it would be confusing to well, me, I would think. And I would understand why even Matthews or Matthews agent, maybe even if they were quote saying like saying something that would make it swing aggressively, you're probably just thinking that's the first thing you think, right? If you take a week or two to think about it, they apparently talked to Shanahan. There's I saw a report today, Shanahan talked to the quote unquote big four, and the big four came away with the idea that none of them are leaving this summer, which that would be ironic as hell if they fire Dubas and then don't make any changes to the core anyways. That would be kind of funny, actually. <laughs> um, it might happen, by the way. It's, yeah, I mean, like again, like it's not to rehash the discussion we had last week, but it's going to keep going back down to is someone on the market that we have no idea that's available? Yeah. If not, I don't see how you trade Nylander or Marner. Maybe... You, I was saying this, and I was talking to some, one of our friends the other night. I said, maybe the only way you can justify a Nylander trade is if, like, Nylander goes, hey, by the way, I get my no trade clause kicks in July 1. We want a talk contract that I can sign. I'm not signing for anything less than 10-5 or whatever, or yeah, 11. Or if or he whatever. just says he straight up doesn't want to be back. But the problem exactly. is, if you trade Nylander, you're probably following, like, the Sam Reinhardt trade model and whatnot. You're getting, like, a little over a first-round pick, and that's it. I'm yes, and they got Devin Levi in that trade, which is a massive prospect. And yeah. even like well, he wasn't least, at the time though, was he? Uh like he wasn't the blue chip can't miss that he is now, but he was one of the higher rated goalie prospects. Now, 
I think you have to discount goalie prospects a little bit because of how unpredictable they are. Like he's yeah. not like he was like an Askarov or anything that was taken in the first round, but I do remember him having some legit okay. beef. Cool. I actually him. thought the Sabres picked him. I thought it was for two picks, and the Sabres did the. It was. Pickings, but let me just double check. I'm ninety five. I actually I know Levi was over because the big it thing had, was a Florida draft pick. So he yeah. Has to be. They had Bobrovsky and Spencer Knight, and they're like, "Well, we don't need another goalie." It's like, yeah, that's that's not how that works. But okay, that's funny. Um, but yeah, yeah like the Levi's seventh round pick, but yeah, and really by that point, numbers. he had already started playing his college career and looked dominant. He was on his way to winning the first um, whatever the goalie of the year award is in in college. I I can't remember what it's called, oh, but yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like he he definitely had more clout than that, and he played for Team Canada again. Um, but yeah, yeah somebody like, I, I can get, say you're getting the two late first. Like, that's not really. It's not. Either. No, but you can flip that for another. Let's say again, like, I don't know. I don't think Alex DeBrinket's going to be available, but if he is, let's say that breaks down in Ottawa. Maybe it's not Nylander. I mean, honestly, I think Ottawa would prefer a Nylander for DeBrinket one for one or, or yeah, with a, that's true. throw assets in whatever way you need there. But but maybe, you know, it's a team where a DeBrinket type, I'm trying to think of anyone else that would even just be open, but someone comes available, right? You might be able to use at least one of those first and move them for the player. Like it doesn't have to be an exact one for one trade. You know what I mean? That's true. I guess like. I don't know. Maybe Arizona, like Keller wants out or something. Mm-hmm. Now I'm sure there are situations like that that we just aren't about. Even if it's not Keller specifically, but like there will be someone, I'm sure. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying that they should be looking for that necessarily. I'm just saying that like if they are to make a change or whatever and they feel they need to, I think the only way it would make sense to me is if um Nylander comes to the negotiation table and is like, no, I want to get more compensation because I've been the only guy to show up in playoffs for the past five playoffs, years and yeah. super undercompensated for what I've provided. Yeah, which he very well might. So, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Um, I, it, it's kind of hard to say, and just until we see the new GM as well, what happens well, like I think everybody, there's betting markets about who their next coach is going to be. Like, what the fuck are they doing to Sheldon Keefe right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that's just kind of natural. Of like, it depends who comes in, and especially too because this team trying to win right away. Where on a rebuilding team, I think it would almost be a guarantee Keefe comes back just because the new GM always saves that bullet, right? You yeah. want to save your bullets for as long as possible. Well, if you're trying to win right now and you don't feel Keefe's the guy, he's you're gone on the spot, yeah. so, and. Like you have probable cause or whatever the equivalent of hockey equivalent is, right? Like, I don't think anybody would be mad at you if you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Game exactly. The job, literally the yeah. first move you could do, and the fan base would be comfortable with it. Yeah, exactly. So, and then yeah, when it comes to player evaluation, again, who who knows? Um, overall, looking back on Dubis's tenure in Toronto, I there's a reason that I would be very okay if he didn't find a job right away. Um, and then new ownership comes in and hires him as the president of hockey operations in Ottawa or yeah. has That's him been working with Dorian. Been keeping me sane. Cause there's been a lot of debate on like Leafs Twitter, just relitigating the Dubas era as one would do after he got fired. And I don't know, I feel like there was more pushback if he was doing a good job than I expected. And then seeing people from other fan bases say stuff like what you just did. It's like, okay, so I'm not going crazy. He definitely knew what he was doing. Yeah. Like I, I, I mean, he's easily, there's no way you can argue, like you're just not paying attention to this league if you're arguing he's anything but an above average GM. Yes. Um, where does he rank in that? I don't really know. I personally, I, again, I thought a lot of his process was pretty sound, um, especially given the skills stuff doesn't work. So he switched his process and he's a guy who clearly will show he's he's not afraid to just double and triple down, even though that's what people seem to think because he didn't trade away one of his star players for nothing. Um, yeah. It's, you know, like, but you look at how he rebuilt. I really like how he rebuilt the Leafs deal, blue line, you know? Well, it, that's it sucks. the worst. People have been like, oh, what's his signature move? It's like, well, they had fucking Roman Polak and Ron Hainsey, their top four right side when he showed up. Like, yeah, the and current decor is really good. I consider that more important than one successful trade. Yeah, like, 
and, and that's you, without Muzzin, who was plausibly their best defenseman or expected well, to be. That's what I was just about to say is there's some bad luck there. Now, granted, you have to realize that there's going to be injury risk with guys like Muzzin getting into their 30s, which yep. is how aggressive he plays, right? But yeah, Muzzin couldn't stay healthy this year. So instead he goes out and like even the, the TJ Brody signing I thought was amazing. And Brody looked like crap in the playoffs, which is just, again, more bad luck than any like what Brody had been their best defender because Muslim's been hurt for the past yep. two years now. Right. Like, yeah. And, and he's like one of the best defensive defensemen in the entire league and has been for a bit. Yep. Selling Giordano even just as a number six to be 800 K on your blue line is it's not like a massive, massive thing, but it's, it's a positive value play. Um, Having the depth in terms of like the fact that you have Justin Hall as your seventh or eighth defenseman at some point. I know people like to shit on him as well, but he's yeah. a, an NHL level defenseman. Bringing Most in Jake McCabe, number five defenseman is way worse than Justin Hall. Yeah, like bringing in Jake way McCabe worse. again. He he didn't look great, but uh, this playoffs, which is, sucks, but you know, at two million dollars for two more years, like I just I, I think he did a fine job, and and yeah, the the. The one criticism maybe is, you know, he couldn't find that goalie. But even I thought Samson, like, goaltending's been fine. Yeah. And, and my thing is, like, I'm not trying to defend the Matt Murray move because it, it was a bad move. Let's let's be honest about it. Right. But yep. for like, the, there's a reason you go and get a guy like Matt Murray and also Elias. It's not just as simple as signing two Elias Samsonovs because I'm trying to think of who else was available other than Elias Samsonov this summer. Maybe Vitek Vanacek, but even then, I think that no Vanacek got traded for. So, like maybe you could have traded a third. I think that's what New Jersey gave up, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But like, I don't know. Like Vanacek got, got filled in the playoffs too. Like, well, exactly. And like they got an asset to get Matt Murray. And yeah, like again, I was still very okay with it as a sentence man. It blew up just as like you could have predicted it blowing up in Toronto's face. But at the end of the day, going, we're gonna get two guys who are still really young and have high upside, I don't hate that play. And just because one of them didn't work out, like people just ignore the one that does work out. So, yeah. Guess where they are in team save percentage over the Dubas era? I get probably got to be, I'd say middle of the pack, maybe. I'm just trying to think. They've had, it feels like they either have really good or it's not very good. Like there's not a lot of. Yeah. They're precisely 14th. Yeah, like which given how cheap they go at goaltending, seems like a win to me. Well, and like on average, right? It's not. And what's the other option too? You can't just go get an elite goaltender. Yeah, we saw what it did to and like again because the ironic thing is like the most elite goaltender in the playoffs this year has been a boat anchor of a contract for four seasons. (laughs) Yep, and like uh, Ottinger, the other side of that coin, right? Yeah. You, you think you have an elite guy, and it's been like, oh, my God, they're just sneaking by despite him. Yep. Imagine they trade Nylander for Thatcher Demko and something, and then they get this version of Thatcher Demko to play this year. Like, Yeah. Like, so, and, and again, even the, the oh, my God, the, the revisionist history of Peter Mrazek's contract is crazy, dude. Yeah, it is. Even like. It was like solid-looking contract at the time. Literally, like, I went back because, like, we had to. We had a bit of a discussion in one of our group chats about this, and like, I I do remember a few of them being like, "Oh, I'm not sure about it." But like, generally speaking, at the time of signing, Peter Morazic was coming off a season with Carolina in which he posted 9.23 in 12 games. So it's not like he played a ton that year, but the year before he had a 9.05 in 40 games. It's not awesome, but it's, it's fine. 9.14 yep. in 40 games. Uh, he had a 9-10 in 22 games with Detroit, 8-91 with a horrible Philly team in 17 games, a 901, 9-21, 9-18, 9-27, 9-20. Like he was just a 9-10 goaltender. Now his stretches yeah. were a little back and forth, but they knew that. And that's everyone. Like, unless you're getting Shisterkin. Yeah. And you're like, getting back and forth. Yeah, exactly. And so obviously he has an 888 in 20 games with Toronto, looked like just a disaster. And 894 this year and 39 with Chicago. And I don't know. Like, I think at the end of the day, you maybe could have made the justification that they probably could have gone with Samsonov and uh, Morazic as a tandem. But that's that's using hindsight bias, you know? Yeah. It's not like Samsonov was a sure thing either. So, um, yeah, I don't yeah, like that. The their goaltending's been fine on average. Yeah, exactly. And, so, and that's been like one of his biggest criticisms. And it's just it's painfully obvious to people who don't pay attention to anything that's happened over the past four years because when the narrative is 
oh, they're finally going to bring an old guy who's going to take grit and toughness and defense into account. It's like you you just haven't – just admit you have not been paying attention to the team and you're just trying to yeah. float your narrative. You stopped paying attention in 2017, I believe that was. 2019, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, like, yeah. so. Um, yeah, I don't It'll be interesting. I think um, Dubas is apparently now interviewing for the Pittsburgh spot, which – to me, I kind of think the way this got that went down probably pissed Dubas off a lot as well. Yeah. Just seeing that again, maybe that was always his intention and he was using this as leverage, but just the way that, you know, he went from on Monday being fully emotional and being it's Toronto or nowhere for me, but I got to talk with my family to this Monday. He's a, apparently going to be interviewing for the Pittsburgh job. That kind of tells me that he probably felt like he got chucked under the bus pretty good. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It, guys, yeah. It's one of the rare situations where, and don't get me wrong, I'm very happy it happened. It's great, it's great content. But uh, <laughs> for a team like Toronto, where their pressers are always PR-driven, the PR team has hammered down what to say. It has been too even, like even Dubas's presser was honest, but that was one of the most disastrous press conferences I've ever seen. To the point where everyone's like, God, this feels like the Nona's Aeros Leafs again, which it really is does. not something you want to be compared to. And the first time in literally since Shanahan really took over that you've had that feeling. Yeah. Like it just felt so different from everything and that another thing that gets i mean lou lou kind of set the culture here but like under kyle dubas like i think part of the reason kyle dubas takes a lot of shit from old school people in the media nothing has leaked out of the leafs organization nope like Like they've been so well put together the muzzin trade nobody even knew jake muzzin was a name that kyle dubas like thought about and then mm-hmm. boom he's on the team like jake mccabe was another one that i don't really remember anyone talking about to toronto yeah like until it like so tight-lipped and so well put together yeah it's uh yeah and, and again like lou laid that foundation and dubas kept it up and, and upheld it yeah yeah exactly because you know culture can change from gm to gm but like that is something that when you're bringing in a guy like Lou Lamorell, that's hopefully what he teaches Kyle Dubas. Like that's the kind of thing you want Kyle Dubas to take away from working with Lou Lamorell is just like the pure professionalism and how much all that stuff, all the like excess bullshit got shut down and it it worked, right? Yep. And like the other thing too is I mean you always kind of hear this, so you have to take it for granted a little bit, but like all I've ever heard from anyone in that organization is like how great Dubas made sure, like how caring Dubas was to, you know, make sure that people were comfortable from, you know, and like, just even remember the Tavares incident or whatever, like he went rushing down and and, stayed with his family or whatever. Right. Like it's just, yeah. Like, I I don't know. It it seems like a, a good guy who, again, is he a perfect GM? Absolutely not. He made his fair share of mistakes, but you know, I, you tweeted out really well. I thought as well, when, you know, everyone gives them flack for taking over such a good team. Yes, he's part of the reasons those salaries expanded, but they were expanding regardless, and he still made that team get better each year in regular season points. Yep. Well, and they're, yeah, and I worst thing that like obviously this happened to every team, but we can be honest about the timing and say the like the pandemic shutting down the salary cap. The Leafs were uniquely positioned to be fucked over by that, just given where all their signings went. Right, like they just re-signed everybody to top of the market deals, and then the market stopped going up. Like that's yeah, like a ninetieth sure. percentile poor outcome from that. Yep, like, for damn. sure. And like again, I don't think that should be used as an excuse, but it's definitely not something. It definitely hurt yeah, the team. Control. Way more and than it, it helped. It. And if you're going to sign those contracts, like if you're going to sign Marner to that deal, you're losing wiggle room. So it is very much partially your fault. You have less room for variance like that once you put yourself in that situation. But still. Yeah. I mean, how many people saw the variance of a global pandemic shutting stuff down for two years? Exactly. Betting on inflation is pretty safe. Yeah. Historically. Um, Yeah. And so I, I guess for Dubas, I think Pittsburgh would be an interesting place for him to land. I mean, one of the things he's been, pretty good at is finding depth acquisitions for cheap. Um, yep, I see why and, getting the most uh, the, limited draft picks. Yeah. I would say that's the other thing too, is I, I kind of, I'll be curious to see, you know, 
because we haven't really got to see how his drafting has poured out in Toronto because A, he's traded a lot of his draft picks, but yeah, B, he needed a bunch of picks. Some of the depth ones that people, like every year people come away saying, I really like the Leafs talent, but it hasn't really gotten time to ferment. And now we're kind of seeing like Matthew Nyes and, um, you know, Lilligren was always the first big pick and, and Sandine was up there as well. But a lot of the depth guys are, you know, maybe trying to start putting their way on the roster now. It'll be interesting to see if they, they do that in Toronto and, and what he yeah. can do and if he, he gets a job in Pittsburgh. Or like the least biggest draft pick over the Dubas era was Ronan Mirov who got cancer. Yep. Like, yeah. Like, what do you do? You can't evaluate anything there. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think, you know, it's definitely an interesting move. I, it feels rash is the, is the best way I can put it, but it's yeah. also kind of hard to completely close the book without seeing who else they hire. Um, well, and you know, there's a lot of shit we're not hearing. Yeah, for sure. Like, I guess, what I'm curious is, do you think Matthews and Marner and Nylander know the whole story? From like, maybe I, like, it I'm sounds just like assuming Shannon, there's a ton out there we don't know. Yeah, probably. And like, it sounds like Shanahan sat down with all three of those guys, and like, I would imagine anything they needed to or wanted to know about that story would have gone been gone from Shanahan's side there. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But yeah, it definitely it's tough, right? Because it's like. On one hand, again, like Dubas could be making the most outrageous request out there, and that would totally flip the narrative, or could be the other way where Shanahan is just being absolutely petty for no reason, or more likely it's probably somewhere in the middle where, you know, it's... Well, there's um, stories this year about, like, it was floated that there was maybe a power struggle between Dubas and Shanahan, and if Kyle Dubas, whether he is or not, Kyle Dubas is going to walk into another GM job. Kyle Dubas is being treated as a premier general manager candidate, which is all that matters for this conversation. If that's how you perceive yourself, and then Brendan Shanahan, who is the most powerful person in the most powerful organization in hockey, probably perceives himself to be very powerful. Like It makes sense that that could end in a power struggle when Kyle Dubas is being told he's one of the next big up-and-coming executives. Of course he would want autonomy then, which would cause fighting with the guy who currently has the decision to say no to you. He probably wants to keep that. Yeah, especially, again, that role is open in Pittsburgh. It's a president of hockey operations is open too, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't have much more to take on it. I think um, it's, it's hard to say until we see where Dubas goes, who they replace, but... Uh, definitely massive, massive news for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, and I, I guess maybe, and we're getting a little long here, but the only other thing to comment is uh, this has to be Shanahan's last bullet as well. He has done a great job to avoid criticism of only winning one round since he got here nine years ago, I think it was. Um, and again, he's done a lot of good stuff as well, but he's really distanced himself from Dubis. So this is now his fourth GM. And again, I don't really count through legit GM, I would say. Uh, yeah. during his era, this is his last bullet, I would say, officially as well. Yeah, which is funny because, like, I feel like he's been two for two. Lou was imperfect, but I feel like Lou did what he needed him to do, and then, like, yeah, and which is obviously maybe higher, I guess right? maybe it's not his last bullet, but it isn't like if they don't have I think playoff it, success, you just can't keep going that way, right? I think you're right, though, it is his last bullet in the sense that, like, this just happens so publicly, and part of the reason. Shanahan had so much trust was like the Shanna plan and like the Leafs gave off the impression that they were a well put together team consistently doing smart things they didn't actually just give off that as an impression that's just actually what they were but like now you've done something so rash like walking away from the next hot front office candidate over a four day period like the illusion of that is gone so if this fails whether it was rash or not it now looks so irrational and just like whiplashy you're screwed if it fails i think yeah absolutely i completely agree so um yeah we'll keep an eye on it and definitely i'm sure there'll be lots more news as we go um but yeah that, that i think wraps it up for me this uh episode unless you have anything chase that you, you want to add any final final comments or thoughts no i'm good then all right. Well, as always, thank you everyone so much for listening. You can find me on Twitter at NHL Sun Stuff, Chase on Twitter at CM Hockey 66. Uh, you can find the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and uh, give us a like or a review if you like it, or even just a, you know, a share. It really goes a long way. And thank you also for the support. You can find all my writing at lastrunhockey.com, Chase on his Substack, which you can find through his Twitter as well as the Action Network.com. Thank you everyone so much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. 